Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. I apologize, today is going to be an abbreviated episode. I know I, mi I, know I missed last week. Uh, I had time to record an episode, or well kind of, not really, but I forgot about recording an episode. It was uh, just, in my mind, it was one week after I'd recorded and uh, that was, uh, yeah, so that's why it's late. I apologize, but um, I do not have much time tonight, so we're going to keep this episode nice and short, which some of you may prefer, some of you uh, may not. But we're going to do today's uh, episode on the Tier 8 non-premium battleship of the Japanese nation, the Amagi. Uh, the Amagi probably in the running, I would say, a lot of in a, by a lot of people's standards, uh, in the running for the best Tier 8 battleship, like... Bar none. And in my experience playing the ship, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it was very hard to figure out. Uh, I had a lot of different failures and strategies and things like that because it didn't seem to play a whole lot like Nagato, and it does have a bit of a modified playstyle from Nagato. But, uh, I, I mean, I gotten Krakens in it, so... Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's really consistent. The armor, surprisingly good. If you don't give broadside in this thing, I mean, angled, it is a very, very tanky battleship. Um, yeah, so we'll get into that after we get into the World of Warships news lately. Alright, so there's been a few things that have happened in World of Warships. A lot of they're just regular news that I think is largely filler. But we have uh, continued early access to U.S. battleships, Statue of Liberty Premium Commander, uh, new battle pass, uh, British submarines. Uh, yeah, so essentially they are um, they only have acoustic homing torpedoes with a large count per salvo, fast reload, good range and speed, but not high damage. Uh, small HP uh, pools, really, really high, kind of absurdly high dive capacities. Um, uh, damage control party, limited number of charges, which is the first on a submarine. Uh, submarine surveillance, hydrophone, uh, th those are standard for submarines apparently. Um, and then they also have, um, I believe access to, uh, deck guns, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly. Um, what, yeah, doesn't really matter. I, I believe they have access to their deck guns. Uh, yeah, more submarines, so that's pretty much it. Uh, they have global combat missions, which are essentially just, uh, uh, like community goals, more or less, uh, I guess that's World of Warships version of community goals is just global combat missions. Uh, it's yeah, cool. Uh, Queen of the Seas adventure, and this allows you to get uh, the Brisbane uh, as a reward, which is a tier 10 Commonwealth cruiser. It's kind of interesting. It it's we has weak armor, uh, according to World of Warships, weak armor, low detectability, specialized repair teams. Um, uh, hydroacoustic search, surveillance, radar, no smokescreen, however. Interesting. This is the first Commonwealth ship, uh, Commonwealth cruiser, not to have a smokescreen. I mean, the only other Commonwealth ship that doesn't have a smokescreen at all is the battleship Yukon, which, interestingly, I, mean, I feel like Yukon with a smokescreen would have been an interesting idea, but that's it. Um, also has an enhanced acceleration. Uh, with the improved engine parameters that are common with British ships. Basically, it's a, it's an Australian Minotaur with a high explosive. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, it's going to be it's available for pirate tokens, which are the things you get in the event, uh, but it will be available for coal on a permanent basis. 
uh, new clan battle season. Uh, the restrictions are no more than three Clabert or Marceaux, or a combination of both. No more than one Petro Pavlovsk or Napoli Nap- slash Napoli B per team. No more than one Marseille per team. Yeah, because Marseille is very strong. I'm actually, I believe that's the next line I'm going to go down is the Marseille line, uh, because what's interesting is there's no difference between the amount of historical ships and non-historical ships that are on the, the Henry or Marseille lines, and I like the idea of essentially having a battleship with reload booster, hydroacoustic search, and a four-minute uh, speed boost. I think that's cool. Anyways, Banned from battles is going to be the Ohio, the Vermont, the Kremlin, the Preussen, St. Vincent, the Thunder, the Republic, the Louisiana, and the Smallland. Yeah, all the ships that have been introduced recently are just kind of weirdly strong. Yeah, I mean, everyone saw this coming, especially St. Vincent. St. Vincent's just ridiculous. Um, as far as brawls are concerned, uh, they're going to run from February 20th through the 27th, so they're running now. Uh, 1v1 format using tier set or tier 8 ships, so be ready for the turpid spam there. Domination mode with new settings that's been modified so that the starting points of battles have been reduced to 150. Uh, points for destroying enemy ships is plus 40. Points for losing a ship is minus 25, so that, uh, you lose less and gain less by uh, sinking each ship. Or, and, uh, well, it depends. Uh, battleships or if you destroy a battleship, you you are gaining less than before. But you're destroying a destro- if you destroy a destroyer, you're actually gaining more than uh, what you did before. It's supposed to. They say it's supposed to uh, make sure that battles are not ending too long or too or or not taking too long or ending too quickly. They introduced some really dumb looking aesthetics for aircraft carriers. Rather than filling the deck full of aircraft like it does in a port normally, it's just going to have literally the aircraft that are in each squadron. Uh, or the size of the attacking flight of each squadron. So it goes from having like 60 aircraft on the deck to having like 7. And it looks so dumb. Like... I don't know why they thought that looked good. I mean, like, if you look up any picture of an aircraft carrier from, like, you know, history, uh, they, um, they always have their decks full, unless it's British. (laughs) Why? Why would you, you know, I'm not, after their bugged out, uh, freaking flags that they put in, uh, last update, I'm not surprised. Art department's really been dropping the ball lately. Um, although Brisbane, eh, I mean, Brisbane looks good. It, yeah, I mean, it looks alright. I mean, they didn't really... Actually, no. They they kind of dropped the ball in camouflage. It's literally just gray. It's like a ocean gray. Like, come on. I don't know if they fired a bunch of the art department people, but, yeah, it doesn't look good. Yeah, As much as I hate criticizing people. Now, they've, uh... They've made a lot of changes to different, um... Uh, unique upgrades. Uh, Daring's fifth slot has, uh been buffed uh actually yeah they've so they buffed uh darings yu yangs um they buffed their uh special upgrades their um uh, unique upgrades, so the things you get for research points. Uh, they've nerfed club bears. Uh, the penalty applied, to, or no, they actually buffed it. Excuse me, penalty applied to main battery reload time reduced from eighty plus eighty percent to plus sixty percent uh, for club bears. Ca- improved camouflage patterns. Torpedo fire control system for Z fifty two has been buffed. Uh, Midway has been. Uh, has been nerfed uh, from plus 10% to plus 5% for bomber cruising speed. Her crew has been nerfed. Yes, her crew has been nerfed with their uh, fuel injection system modification. Improved main battery loading mechanisms for Henri has been uh, nerfed. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's been nerfed. Uh, aerosol smoke curtain system for Minotaur has been buffed insanely. The smoke generator consumable action time has been increased from plus 150 to plus 300%. Yes, Minotaur now has a crawling smoke screen, effectively. It lasts forever. Penalty of smoke screen dispersion time increased from 15 to 20, uh, minus 15 to minus 20%, though. So it is basically, basically given Minotaur the option of having a um, crawling smoke screen. So yeah, there's that. And then the automated battery loading mechanism for Kremlin has removed the penalty applied to the number of ship consumable charges. So Kremlin has been buffed. Although, this is only for people who got these unique upgrades, so there's that. Uh, Z-42 is now in the game. It's a special Tier 10 destroyer. It is literally a Z-52 with 105mm main battery guns and more of them. It, okay, I mean, it, it's a Z-52. It's for steel, too. I don't even know why they put this for steel, because this is probably one of the worst, gonna be one of the worst steel ships. I mean, if, if I'm reading this right... If I'm reading what they're doing here right, this is going to be a terrible steel ship. Like, why would you waste your steel on the Z-50 or Z-42 when you can get uh, the incomparable, the Stalingrad, the even the Shikishima? Like, go spend your coal on that. Don't get some rinketing German destroyer. Sorry, all the German people who play the game. Uh, that ship sucks. Or at least it looks like it's going to suck. Uh, new special commander, new patches, new emblems. Uh, new flag, uh, Sukuryu and Admiral Ushakov have been added to the game. Yes, there's a now a bigger Kremlin. I mean, this battleship is literally, it was in the Fjords port, it is so big. Or no, in the naval base port, it is so big, it can't actually fit in the dry dock. So, it is one of the only ships that is sitting out in the bay. So, essentially, it's just in a, on a Hawaii map in naval... Uh, in the naval station uh, port. So, yeah. And the Sekiryu, yeah, it's just a Japanese super carrier. It's like if, you know, Japan was allowed to build aircraft carriers in the modern day. <laughs> um, yeah, but with the uh, Admiral Ushakov, it is absolutely massive. Now, most of the ships that they put into these dry docks wouldn't actually sit in the dry docks because the, the water line is so high, it sits way above the dry docks. So there's no way they could possibly float it into the dry dock because it would just, they put water in it and just sit there. Or when they float it into the dry dock, A, it wouldn't have the turning radius necessary to turn around that deep channel. Um, and uh, even like Montana, and it would just hit the bottom of the dry dock when I was trying to go in. So I don't know, but yeah, Admiral Ushakov is physically too long for that dry dock. Uh, they've um, modified container drop rates. Uh, they've added Admiral Tegrao, which is literally it is literally a Disaven Provincian. It is better than the Disaven Provincian, and it is uh, Pan American. It's I mean it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's it, it's what it is. It, it's the one that still exists today. It's cool. But, like, why did you add... Why did I spend the time grinding the DZP when I could... When you're going to enter something at the same tier that is literally better. It just doesn't have airstrikes. Why? Why? Why, why Wargaming? Why cause me this pain? Why cause me such pain? 
It, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the stats as they have it in now. It is literally a straight-up better DZP. Like, there, it, there is no reason to play DZP anymore, because this is just better. It has, in addition, so it doesn't have airstrike. I will say that. It doesn't have airstrike. And by the way, I was playing Forest Firm the other day. I got the, There was a DZP on the enemy team that had the luckiest drop I've ever seen. As I'm avoiding... Uh, air, uh, various amounts of incoming fire and everything. He hits me with an airstrike for literally almost 20k. I have never in my experience playing DZP ever hit something for more than 13. That was a stationary battleship while well, I'm a maneuvering forest Sherman. You know, whatever. Um, yeah, so it's armed with 852mm guns with 360-degree turning capabilities, same as the DZP. The main feature of the ship is the presence of combat instructions, which is just literally the replacement for the airstrike. When activated, it reduces the main battery reload time and improves both the ship's acceleration and maneuverability. So, okay, it's a buff DZP now. It has weak armor. Uh, okay, I mean, and DZP has pretty strong armor, I suppose, for a light cruiser, but it is just a light cruiser, uh, which is compensated for by her access to the repair party consumable. DZP has that, which restores 50% of her citadel damage received and has an enhanced HP recovery rate. It has a super heal, like DZP had in testing. Now DZP... Had its superheal removed in testing, I understand that, and it may have it in the Admiralty Grau, or Admiral, what, I'm sorry, Peruvians, we listen to this podcast, but the Admiral Grau may have its, um, uh, heal removed, or is it Admiralty Grau? I think it's Grau, right? Grau? 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 I don't know. Um, I did not take Spanish. Um, yeah, but it could have it removed, uh, which is... Which, you know, would bring it more in line with the DCP. Except it has hydroacoustic surge and defensive AA fire. The thing that people were screaming for with the DCP is give it DFAA so it can actually be a reliable anti-aircraft ship. And I mean, not that it already is, but like something where it is a no-fly zone. It would have been no-fly. That You could have built it for AA and it would have been good. It would have been worth it because it had the DFAA skill or skill, consumable, and could have knocked anything that came close to it out of the sky, but no, World Warships hates Dutch ships. So, yeah, that is, that's that. And I honestly think it's a bit of a sign of laziness from the, I mean, okay, I guess maybe not laziness from the art crew at World of Warships, but it is, I mean, it is literally just a DZP. I mean, I don't even know if there's anything different on the model other than the, the lettering on the side instead of C, uh, uh, 802, it's just 81, and then I'm sure they took the DZP nameplates off the back, but, like, it literally looks exactly the same, because, I mean, it is exactly the same. The Peruvians didn't do that much. I mean, they, they didn't even really change the radars that were on it. Like, uh, just, oh, my God. I spent so long grinding for the DZP because it was going to be the only real dockyard ship, and I wanted it, and now they just introduced a, a, a better version of it. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Alright, World of Warships. Also, uh, Grown Again, Hayate, Azuma, and a gear will no longer be available in, purchase for the, uh, in the tech tree for a free XP. They'll be moved for coal, so I guess spend your free XP now. Uh, also, um, they updated the armor for Tashkent, DZP, Kajukdon, and Endrax. Um, sorry, my mouth is dry. I can't say Dutch. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the Endrax. Um, and to uh, u utilize updated technology. 
and uh, yeah. Also, I think they're supposed to be going over uh, remodeling the firing sound effects, is what I've heard, um, which is good because the sound model in World of Warships is way outdated and needs to be updated. So yeah, there's that. But let's get into the history of Amagi real quick because I mean there really isn't too much history. Uh, you can get it out into the nitty gritty of the politics behind the Amagi, and that would make this episode really long and probably boring, and no one would listen to it. So we'll just do a quick crash course on this. The Amagi class battleships were it, they were designed to be four battleships. Yes, they were actually designed. Um, they actually they were laid down, and then the Washington Naval Treaty just put a stint on um, or. Yeah, stint on all of the um, uh, new new warship construction or new capital ship construction uh, in an effort or failed effort to stem the naval inevitable naval arms race between the Western Allies and the uh, what would be Axis powers. Um, uh, so yeah, that resulted in a lot of cool ships just being scrapped on the slipways, uh, such as the Magi class, the Lexington class, and the G3 class battlecruisers. The G3 class battlecruisers you might know in game as the Saint Vincent, uh, and uh, the uh, all the what was it Saint Vincent and uh, what is the tier nine again? Oh jeez, I can't I forget the tier nine. Uh, yeah, so a Tier 9 uh, British battlecruiser, which escapes my mind at the moment. Uh, it is the... Um, oh, the Duncan. Yes, the Duncan. Uh, the Hawk, kind of. Not really. Uh, but the Duncan and the St. Vincent. So, yeah, those ships would have been made or would have been uh, launched had, you know, the Washington Naval Treaty come, not come through. Um, yeah. Uh, however, the um, uh, there was a ship of the Magi class that was converted to an aircraft carrier, the Akagi. Uh, Magi was actually going to be converted into an aircraft carrier, except an earthquake came along and bent the frame so badly that the Japanese decided it would not be economical for them to use it and just scrapped it on a slipway. Yeah. So basically, they were going to be a part of the Imperial Japanese Navy's 8-8 fleet uh, program, which is 8 battleships, 8 battle cruisers. Which would, by the way, be extremely expensive because you have to remember that Japan was already bankrupt from the uh, Russo-Japanese War, which they did win by a wide margin. It just cost them, you know, all of their money. Uh, Japan at this time was spending a third of their national uh, national budget on the Imperial Japanese Navy, which is probably why their army wasn't the best equipped and they didn't really have that great of tanks. But um, on yeah, on the whole. Uh, yeah, so the Amaga design was essentially a lengthened version of the Tosa-class battleship, which is basically an improved, uh, literally just a bigger Nagato, uh, except with less armor and, um, uh, which is just less armor and, uh, you know, higher speed, basically, you know, typical, uh, ba battle cruiser, you know, things. Anyways, so the Amagi class, there, were gonna, there was going to be four of them. It was planned to be Amagi, Akagi, Adago, and Ta uh, Teikau. Uh, Adago and Teikau would be converted, or not converted, would, but would uh, have their names passed along to heavy cruisers in the late 1920s. Um, yeah, so they also had a more powerful propulsion system compared to the Tosa-class battleship plans, uh, modified secondary armament arrangements, and they uh, did carry the same main battery of 10, uh, 16.1 or... Uh, 410 uh, millimeter guns, and they were supposed to have a top speed of 30 knots or excess of that. Uh, the like I said, the Washington Naval Treaty prevented the class from being completed as designed, and uh, that was that was pretty much it. So they were going to actually build these things. Um, 
and so I, I guess you can consider it real. I mean, the, the fact that the Japanese actually abided by the Washington Naval Treaty is interesting. And I mean, the background behind uh, the uh, Amaki class really is intricately tied into the problems that the Japanese Navy had. Um, and, and the Japanese uh, economy as well, because you have to remember that J literally like 50 years earlier, Japan was a isolated nation, or 60 years earlier, Japan was a completely isolated nation. They had basically no contact with the outside world, this, uh, except for you know occasional visits from the Dutch, and this was by design, and it really did help them a lot throughout history, just create a society that was more or less a, a medieval utopia, until they realized that society around them had advanced sufficiently that it was now a threat to their own society, so they decided as a culture that they were going to steal, I shouldn't say steal everyone's technology, but learn from the outside world and then improve on their technology, which is evident to this day. I mean, Japan is one of the most highly developed and successful countries in the world. Um, it, it stems from this. And, uh, yeah, so Japan was trying to... out trying. It's like the little sibling, trying to compete with... The United States and the Kingdom of uh, Great Britain and uh, or the United Kingdom. What did I say? The Kingdom of Great Britain and, and France and Russia and like so this and in certain cases winning. However, it didn't have the natural resources and things like that to go off of like the United States or the United Kingdom did. So it was straining its resources and financial reserves massively. And uh, yeah, so this is this is why. Uh, yeah, they saw the Washington Naval Treaty as potentially advantageous, especially since uh, their bankruptcy after the Russo-Japanese War and the launch of HMS Dreadnought was a complete disaster for Japan. Because for Germany and the adversaries of Great Britain, it was a definite setback having the HMS Dreadnought launched. However, Germany had significant financial reserve to replace its navy, its outdated or its now outdated navy with newer battleships. Japan really didn't. I mean, technically didn't. A responsible country would not have reserves to replace their old battleships. However, Japan kind of had to. So, yeah, this strained them even more. Um yeah, so they had delivered the Katori class of battleships, to, uh, and we're going to deliver the Satsuma class of battleships, uh, which were pre-dreadnoughts, by the way, brand new pre-dreadnoughts. And then the in, in 1907, then uh, the dreadnought is launched. Um, yeah, so or in 1906. So yeah, that's why things began going south. And so then you have the Japanese go back to the drawing board and come up with things like the Fuso, the Amagis, the Nagatos, the Kongos, the, and they try to build all these at the same time. And they get a lot of them done, except, you know, the Amagi. So yeah, that is, that is essentially the history behind the Amagi. Now we can get into the World of Warships section of this episode, and we can um, focus in on what the Amagi materializes to in the game. Also, quick note, I will be free expanding the Izumo. I don't really see any historical value in it as much as the Imagi is because the Imagi is really actually quite historically based and really accurately portrayed in the uh, game. Izumo is kind of just a filler. I mean, obviously Yamato's completely legendary. I mean, as is Satsuma. Um, 
maybe not to the extent that Yamato is, but uh, Amagi definitely shows a uh, stage in development of battleships that, um, and large capital ships that Japan went through before finally arriving on the pinnacle of their capital ship engineering, the Yamato. Alright, so we're going to go through the base specifications without anything applied, except for just, you know, basic equipment researched. Um, so you're thinking like a B-Hull Mod 2 fire control and 150,000 horsepower propulsion, just to bring it up to uh, tier 8 standards. Alright, so for our main battery, we have five turrets instead of four on the Nagato 5 turrets, so those same 410mm great 45 caliber third-year type guns. They have a range at of 19.88 kilometers, and they'll reload in 30 seconds, which is longer than the Nagato. Nagato does have a 29-second reload, but you are getting that extra turret. Uh, so you get 180-degree turn time of a reasonably quick uh, 41.86 seconds, which is actually really nice. Um, the Sigma is going to be not super great at 1.8, but we do have decent accuracy at 228 meters, uh, horizontal and dispersion vertical is 182. Uh, Amagi, it's interesting. The guns, I believe, at least are really inconsistent. They're not like German levels of really inconsistent. But they are certainly not American levels of uh, just consistent. But Amagi is very much... I mean, most of the Japanese battleships very much are feast and famine. I mean, in less extreme than the German battleships are. But you will definitely get some points in the game where it's like, this guy should totally be dead. He's completely broadside to me. Range is less than 12 kilometers. I should send him back to Jesus and you just overpen, or you miss completely. Now, there will be some times in the Amagi where the guy will be literally 21 kilometers away. You will pop a spotter to hit him. He will be hit by precisely all of your shells and proceed to just fade away from existence, reduced to atoms. Um, yeah. So, you, you gotta take the thick with the thin here. And I, I believe overall, overall, Amagi's guns are pretty reliable, or pretty, pretty good. It's just that you can't count on them. If you know, right? Like, you can't, your strategy can't play on getting high damage rolls. Like, maybe sometimes you can push a little bit with the American battleships or, or some more accurate battleships in the game. You can kind of do some things you shouldn't necessarily do. Don't do that with the Imagi. It will not work out for you. Um, so the raw HEDPM is 130,000 for a Japanese ship. It's not super great. 6,500 damage. For per AP, or HE shell, which I suppose is good, it's just that you you do only have those ten guns, um, and I mean, HE is really not the specialty of the Yamagi. It never has been, never will be. It's it's good, it's it's reliable, but you're obvious. It's not British, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, initial shell velocity is at 805 meters a second. Shell weight is 938 kilograms. You can have a depth explosion of 4 meters and HE penetration of a solid 68 millimeters. Burn probability of a underwhelming 30%. Fire per, sal or per salvo, you get a 92% or 97% chance of starting fire. The AP shell is really where stuff starts to heat up, though. You got 252,000 DPM with a 12,600 maximum damage number, which is big. And you got an 805 meters second shell velocity, which is respectable. Uh, it's not lasers, not, it's not French here, but it's certainly not American. Uh, the shell weight is a pretty good 1,020 kilograms. 
Uh, ricochet is your standard 45 to 60 degrees depth explosion to meters. Overmatch is that nice. 28 millimeters. Yes, you will be crashing through the bowels of every cruiser in the game. That doesn't have a icebreaker battle like, you know, Germans, like Russians, like uh, Italian? No, not yeah, Italian maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and certain other ships. Uh, but you'll be crashing through the hulls of most of them. Um, th Army threshold is a pretty high 68 millimeters. Yes, you will get a lot of over pens, especially at close range. Uh, fuse times standard 0 0.33 seconds. And the aiming circles, pretty good. Um, backwards or facing the rear, uh, not super great, really. It's not a, ironically, even or not kind of interestingly, it's not a kiting ship, really. Or, well, it doesn't perform well kiting just because of the firing. If you're strictly looking at the firing angles, um, however, forward, especially with the third turret, the was it uh, Z turret, I believe. Uh, yeah, Z-Turret, it, it is really good firing angles. Um, you got standard HE bomb airstrike, you got a, uh, what is it, what's the range on that? Does it actually, it doesn't have, or no, range 10 kilometers, you know, nothing special about that. Um, your secondary armament on paper looks good, however, in reality, it leaves a lot to be desired, and that's just because it's Japanese 127 millimeters, or at least most of it are 127 millimeter mounts, uh, and they can't really pen anything. Uh, they only pen 21 millimeters of armor. Uh, the 140s only pen uh, 23 millimeters of armor. So if it was, ironically, the thing that makes the key good uh, with the 100 millimeter, the, the weaker secondaries makes the key good, which is really weird. But the reason for that is is because it's the Japanese 100mm guns. You know, they have Kazuki, Kitakazi, Rugumo guns. They have absurd amounts of penetration and a huge rate of fire. And so you just, it's a death to a thousand cuts versus these. Yes, they will start fires. They have a burn probability of 10% for the 140s and 8% for the 127s, which is good. Uh, however, they won't really do much damage. Uh, however, the maximum dispersion, I mean, at 6.6 .6 kilometers is 220 or 248 meters, which, I mean, for secondaries isn't bad. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I suppose the 127 to 6 kilometers do have 407 meter dispersion circle, so yeah, th that's not great. But, um, yeah, it, it, you can do a secondary build on Magi. I've seen people do it well. Really, really, really not recommended, like, at all. But you can do it. It doesn't mean you should. <laughs> uh, the... The A, it, it's like the A defense on this ship. It's like, yeah, you can, you can get some success with it, but, like, I mean, even less with the A defense, but, like, you really shouldn't try. It's not a good idea. Sometimes you get lucky and you'll get a ba good battle, but, like... I mean, the Imagi Hall is good at brawling, don't get me wrong, ironically, because, you know, it's a Japanese battleship supposed to sit at the back of the map, according to everyone, but it's actually really good at brawling. Um, so when you brawl, yes, sometimes you can get some clutch fires and stuff like that with the secondaries if you spec them out, but, like, I don't know. It, just it, maybe try it once if you got a lot of extra skill points and credits for, for uh, upgrades sitting around. Maybe. Maybe put your key commander on there and have some fun for a little bit. But, like... Yeah, it, you'll probably be more frustrated than anything. Uh, yeah, A defense, it's nothing right horn about. I mean, you literally have a flag that does 1,400 damage, uh, 105 DPS in your uh, in your 
far you long range a aura and then in your near a aura you have 304 dps so yes those uh multi bombers that have 3000 health apiece they're not going to care about your aa they're going to fly right through it <laughs> even your flak will not destroy a single bomber so yeah there's that i mean it will literally take you 20 seconds to kill one bomber 20 seconds. I mean, they are in and out of your AA in like 10 seconds, so you are not going to shoot anything down by any means at all. The survivability on Amagi. Um, okay, so here's the deal it's got a good hit point pool. It really does. I mean, it's comparable to the uh, North Carolina. North Carolina only has 66,000 hit points. This has got 66,300 hit points. So it is, it is a good hit point pool by a lot of people's standards. I mean, if we take a look at Vladivostok here, Vladivostok does have 73,000 hit points, so yes, there there are definitely ships that are going to have more hit points than you. We know this. Uh, it, it feels like it could do with 70,000 hit points and probably be alright, like just a little bit more hit points, but I mean, it's manageable. Uh, you, you, it is Japanese army, you do take a lot of pen damage, and this is probably a good time to talk about the armor scheme, is that it is a very, very good armor scheme at keeping you not getting from getting citadel at close range um at long range you will get citadel very easily um it has very steep turtle back um or no it has a weird like double turtle back thing it's kind of strange and it's got also a huge amount of spaced armor so yeah you'll take a ton of pen damage like pretty much everything's gonna pen it it's coated in 32 which is i mean it like all the japanese battleships it eats up high explosive it is a high explosive sponge um but it does have a lot of spaced armor which means it's gonna keep armor piercing from going through and um at close range, really, I mean, unless it's completely broadside to you, good luck citadeling this thing. However, the fact it's coded in 32 and doesn't have the greatest hit point pool, or what seems to be the greatest hit point pool, what feels to be the greatest hit point pool, makes it uh, especially vulnerable to high explosive spam. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like the North Carolina in this respect. I mean, only 300 hit points difference. The two ships are highly comparable in that respect. Uh, yeah, you just, you can't get caught in the open with a ton of high explosive spam. Otherwise, you will die, and it will not be good for you. This, I mean, this is something that I've learned through playing the Amagi. It is... At its tier, very sensitive to high explosive because remember, you could see Henri's, you could see Marseille's, you can see um, Hindenburg's and Des Moines and Forrest Sherman's and all these things are in Goliath, God's, for God's sakes. I mean, a Goliath will easily knock 15k off of this thing in high explosive cell. Okay, maybe not easily, but it can do it. it very easily knock 10k off of it, which is a sixth of your health, basically. So that is not good. Obviously, he won't be able to do it twice with, you know, saturation and stuff, but it will be able to very nearly do it twice. And, um, yeah. So that is this thing's biggest weakness, is you can't get out... Overextending in this ship is very bad, because you will not have enough time to do a lot of damage, uh, because these guns... Because it doesn't have, um, you know, German secondaries or torpedoes or just insanely accurate guns or something like that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, what I'm saying is it's super sensitive to high explosives. So just be wary of that. Uh, and it doesn't, 
unless the cruisers are broadside and things, I mean, it can't necessarily, you can't count on it deleting its, um, whatever is, uh, high explosive spamming it, I, especially if the guns don't behave, so, I mean, in that respect, it's a lot like a French battleship, I would say, so you can treat it a lot like that. So yeah, just just keep that in mind. I mean, fire is 60 second fire is gonna do 11,000 damage. It's more of a 60 year health health pool floods. 40 second flood will do 13k damage. That's a lot of you know that's that's a lot of damage. Concealment also not great, very not good. 16.76 kilometers base. Yeah, that's not good at all. Yeah. So another weakness of this ship and the maneuverability. It leaves, I mean, it, it middle of the road, maximum speed of 30 knots, turning circle radius of a maybe a bit large 870 meters, although it's not that bad. I mean, still could be better. Rudder shift time of 17.3 seconds. It's a battleship. What am I going to say? You know, standard damage con, standard heal, and standard spotter plane. And that is the specs of the Imagi. So, what are we going to do for upgrades? We're going to do main armaments mod one. We're going to do. Uh, probably damage control systems mod 2. Uh, we'll take aiming systems mod 1, that's a must. Uh, we'll take damage control systems mod 2, that's a must. And consumer systems mod 1. Uh, for upgrades. Uh, just because we need to get that damage control, well, under control. And, uh, we need, we need some concealment. Because 16 kilometers concealment is not going to do it for us. And then we're also going to have to... Uh, running fire flags is essentially... And flooding flags is mandatory on the Imagi. Um, just because it does eat so much high explosive damage that you really can't afford to eat that much high fire damage. Uh, the India Delta flag, probably mandatory too. I, I would say mandatory, you know, just because of the not super duper great health pool... Uh, running Sierra Mike just to see, so we can get around a little faster. November Foxtrot so we can get some uh, enhanced consumable reload times. Um, other than that, it's really up to you. I mean, you can run Randoming Flag. That's fun. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't really... Th you can run AA Flags or Fire Flag or, like, uh, causing Fire Flags, but uh, I, I don't really see it as being super necessary. Uh, for the, uh, commander skills, we're gonna run preventative maintenance, then we're gonna run grease the gears, we're gonna run adrenaline rush, uh, emergency repair expert, basics of survivability, uh, I like priority targets, um, although I don't think I'm actually running it on mine, no, I'm not running it on mine, um, uh, just, I mean, I like it, but I think there's other things that would you would benefit from greatly uh concealment experts being one of them you can get the concealment down to 13.58 if you want or you can spec into even more survivability to take things like vigilance improve repair party readiness uh to reduce the reload time of your um uh repair party consumable uh by a little bit uh fire prevention experts also a very very useful skill um yeah, so that is, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I would take priority target, but I would definitely take, like, survivability skills before that, um, uh, also emergency repair specialist is also a pretty necessary skill, I believe, you can take, uh, gun feeder, I don't particularly switch between shells that often, it's usually just firing armor piercing and everything, um, except for extremely angled targets that are heavily armored, uh, incoming fire alert, 
useful, but you're not really going to dodge much. So what has that done for us? Well, it's taken our fire duration down to 34.7 seconds. So we're just doing 6k damage now uh, when we get a fire on ourselves. Flooding is going to have 23.1 second duration. Uh, 7,000 damage from that. The concealment is 15.08 kilometers. Um, our maneuverability speeds up to 31.5 knots, which is cool. Uh, our, our repair party is doing 0.6% HP per second. Uh, reload time is going to be 73 seconds, action time 30 seconds. Damage con is going to have an 11, 11 second action time and a 73.7 73 second reload time, down from 90 seconds, I believe. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and just as a review, we've put emergency repair specialist, preventive maintenance, grease the gears, vigilance, basic survivability, adrenaline rush, and emergency repair expert all on this um, ship. And it works pretty well with that. If you only have that 10-point captain, however, uh, definitely lose the vigilance, uh, probably lose the emergency uh, I would lose the emergency repair specialist. Uh, preventative maintenance is very useful, especially uh, since turrets, Japanese turrets are not necessarily known for being super reliable, so, uh, I mean, just Japanese ships in general, um, so preventative maintenance is useful, but if you really want the damage con to be up a little bit faster, then emergency repair uh, specialist is viable. Um, and uh, lose fire prevention experts and uh, probably lose adrenaline rush. Either adrenaline rush or basically survivability. I, I would say lose adrenaline rush because you do really need that, that uh, fire time down. Um, but yeah, adrenaline rush is certainly very useful. Um, yeah, and, and then that's how I would, I would spec out Amagi. How do I play Amagi? Well, uh, that's... That is such a hard thing to to tell someone how to play Amagi because it is such a situational ship. Yes, Amagi can brawl. Amagi can't. I mean, with the spaced armor and everything, Amagi is more than able to brawl. That is how I got a Kraken in this thing. Or one of my Krakens in this thing. is. Uh, I mean, I pushed up a flank um, way on the outside, which actually worked. Got a bunch of flanking shots in on enemies. Killed them all, then swept around the other side, um, killed some more people, and then uh, I pushed up on a board, you know, literally backed him against the wall, against a, a island, and rammed him, and my aircraft carrier was still alive, so I won the game that way. It was just literally a bloodbath. It was awesome. I, that is one of the most fun I've had in a World of Warships game ever. Now, there are some points where doing that would get you killed within the first five minutes. I remember, did that one game. There was a hawk that was sitting by an island. He reversed out. I tried to kill him, didn't kill him. He one-shotted me from whole health. Yeah. And yes, I was a bit broadside. I was turning around. I didn't think he reloaded. I didn't have priority target. Didn't know he was targeting me. There was a lot of ships around me. Could have been targeting another person. Was it a dumb mistake? Should I have turned around? Yeah, probably not. Should have my ship have blown up with one salvo because of spaced armor? Probably not either. I mean, yeah, I was broadside. Yeah, I had it coming and everything. He, was, he even messaged me in chat. He was surprised his ship worked that well. Um... Yeah, I mean, so you really do have to be careful around with what's around you. I mean, this ship teaches you situational awareness beyond what any ship will tell you will teach you. I mean, maybe besides Omaha, 
it, it really does teach you that. And it's not like you'll get instantly deleted, right? It teaches you more the situational awareness of, like, what's going to happen with where things are five minutes from now. Because Yamagi's a battleship. Typically, you're not, your decisions are not going to result in your immediate death. You're, it's going to result in your death three minutes from now. Uh, so you're like, yeah, I can push into these HE spamming ships. They're not immediately targeting me. I can get a flight shot in them. I can get some uh, shots into their broadside. And then they turn their guns on you and proceed to burn you to the waterline. So you, and it shows you that, no, you can't count on getting high damage rolls all the time uh, from, from doing something. And no, I haven't done this. This is an exaggeration of what I've done. I've been pushing up and then not realized that there was um, HE spamming ships there. I pushed out too far in the way beginning of the battle and things materialized against me. Is you can't... It, it teaches you to take calculated risks and show you which risks are really worth it in a game of World of Warships and which are not. So that's why it's hard to explain this shit because you kind of have to play it yourself to figure it out. In general play style, you're either going mid in this ship or you're going really far on the flanks. And I guess I don't mean like Henry levels of on the flank, like literally border, but I mean, well, maybe I do. You don't, you can't just go way out in the flanks and do nothing at all, and that's not what I'm advocating. You have, if there are ships that are going to the cap, you want to like a side cap or uh, like a mid flank, you know, outside of the uh, outside edge of a cap or something like that, you know, on the uh, map border side of a like sea cap, for example, the the side of the cap that's closest to the map border. If there's people there, then going way to them, basically the map border or where they are in the at, with your monkey is a good idea because you're probably gonna win that gunfight. You're probably gonna get their broadside and you're probably gonna smash them. Uh, however, going there when people are going towards the mid, not the greatest idea because this ship performs the best at a range of around 16 to 12 kilometers. You get much closer than that, they're, I mean, in the beginning of a battle, chances are you're probably overextending. You get further away from that, chances are you're probably not doing anything in a battle. Now, going mid, I don't mean sail into B-cap and get deleted instantly by a bunch of torpedoes from an unspotted destroyer. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that you're going to sit behind the cap and you're just going to kind of meander behind B-cap. And you're not necessarily going to be firing into B-cap. You probably won't be firing into B-cap. In fact, I don't really recommend it because it's probably just a destroyer. You're probably not going to hit him and you're probably going to do nothing for the first five minutes of the battle. I recommend shooting at the enemies who are engaging your teammates in A or C cap, or where they would be on a standard battle. Uh, I recommend, and I, I recommend, so essentially stay maybe like 10 kilometers outside B cap, say like outside the cap, and just kind of meander around, taking as many potch or as many shots as you can, focusing ships down and that are on flanks that are struggling, and maintain that central position. A central position strategy in Amagi often works very well. And then when a flank begins to win, you can push in really, really hard because Amagi's decent at brawling, and 
getting closer just assures her shots when she knows that she can push forward without getting HE spam to death. If there's a flank losing, you could also triangle bolster that, or you can adjust your position to be closer to the flank that's more likely to win. So that's the two strategies. I wouldn't really go to a cap like A and C cap and then try and push that cap off the front of the battle. It really doesn't work well. I mean, this is kind of Japanese battleships. They're not really meant to lead a push. They're more meant to be there, be the force that's preventing something from pushing against you. They don't really work super great um in pushing which is why i was hesitant to say that amagi's not a good kiting battleship because it is in most respects except for the firing angles um it just it yeah so you you do really 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 have to be careful of overextending an amagi and maybe not necessarily to the extent that you have to be careful of that in some the likes of colorado kansas and uh, Minnesota are, even Vermont, you, you can outrun some things, mostly other battleships at your tier, um, so yes, but you do have to be very careful, and I, like I said, I can't stress this enough, you will get, and even if you're being careful, you will get HE spammed to death in this thing, and there will be nothing you could do about it. Uh, sometimes your team crumbles around you and you just can't do anything but you it teaches you to recognize those situations before they can happen like you see that your teammates are dying or something at a rate that you can't necessarily prevent so you have to get in a position where you turn around and maybe as your team's starting to maybe crumble but not necessarily going to crumble you turn around and you put her into quarter throttle and then uh, you're just slowly backing away. You're slowly... You're in a position where if things start to really go south, you can jam it into full uh, full flank and then just get out of that situation, try and go undetected, or at least put up a fight. Um, but, but you're not necessarily retreating to the point where you end up all of a sudden on the J line not being able to do anything. So th there's that balance there. But you have to recognize when to put it in the quarter throttle or when maybe you've overextended a little bit. Maybe you're going to immediately overextend, so you need to turn around now and put it in a full and get out of there. So it's recognizing that situation. And that's the extent to where someone needs to do that is a bit different for everybody who plays the Yamagi, which is why it's difficult to describe how to play this. But I guess just if it is, there's two play styles. You go out way on the flanks or you stick in B cap or you stick behind B cap, 10 kilometers behind B cap. Keep the enemies between 16 and 12 kilometers. Do not overextend. Constantly watch that mini-map. And then if you have to make that mini-map bigger, press the plus key and hold it down. Make it half your screen because you need to pay attention to that. If the enemy team seems to have an overwhelming force going to you, then you definitely want to be in a position, ideally with your bow, pointing the opposite direction, just trying to conduct a fighting retreat. Sometimes that means a fighting retreat at 30 knots. Most of the time, it means it at 9 knots. Um, as far as pushing, definitely be careful. But you can take some certain amount of chances with the Imagi if it's clear that your team is winning. Amagi will do decent in a 1v1 against basically and even German battleships, assuming your guns are pointing in the right direction, assuming he's maybe not the greatest German battleship player, and you can tell that, then yes, you can afford to take those chances in Amagi. It's forgiving against that. It's the rest of the team that it's not forgiving against. And I guess that's the thing I'm struggling with in Forest German. That's why you haven't seen an episode on Forest German yet, because I'm not good at the ship. It's like, yes, I can totally take 
take care of anything in 1v1. I mean, I in a draw, I will... Or in a, you know, the quick draw sort of thing, the close night fight in Forest Sherman, I will win against anything. Throw any destroyer against me, I will win with the sap. It is the rest of the team that I am concerned about, however. The team that's going to HE spam me and all of a sudden make me lose that knife fight. That is with the Amagi. Yes, you will basically win a knife fight against anything. It bring it is the gun. It is big gun. It, it's tier. There's not much else that has more guns than the Amagi. However... The Imagi is not very resistant to your opponent's team. Essentially, you have to be rely. You have to ensure that you're the person you're dueling does not have any back shooters. That's more or less the the whole tale of Imagi. Watch for back shooters, and I guess I'll leave it at that. That's a pretty that's, that's a pretty cool uh, finishing line there. I'll leave it at that. But um, so yeah, that's gonna be it for today's episode. It, it's gone way longer than I actually thought it was gonna be. I mean, like I said, I really love Imagi. It's cool. It teaches you about situational awareness. It can be a very powerful ship in the right hands. I mean, as a lot of ships in World of Warships can be. But I feel it's balanced. There's there's ways that it can go horribly wrong for Imagi. And so that keeps it balanced. Um, if you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, uh, suggestions with an asterisk, because I have, I do have a lineup that I'm doing right now, and I'll take suggestions more after that. So he, I have my lineup going that I'm going to do, and then there's a lineup after that of just listener suggestions that I'm slowly kind of like adding to the list. So questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, feel free to email them to rankamateurpodcast.gmail.com or leave it in a uh comment down below this episode on my anchor page but that's all for me for this fortnight so until next time captains